Today on The Deep End, the cancel culture has come for the church. The shelf of shame cannot take it anymore, my friends. There's just too much. Plus, praying for God to help you hate people of a certain color. A top devotional on Amazon has that exact message available for you right now. No cancellations on them. And the underground church comes to Canada. And guess what? In the life of David, we discuss that the church is not a building. Welcome to your favorite night of the week. This is The Deep End. I am beloved, the man they call David, the son of a Jesse, the John I slay it, the heart full of king, three stones in a sling. I'm dancing my clothes off to the sound of the beat. Ah, welcome to The Deep End with Tim Hatch. Oh, thank you, Derek, and welcome to you Tuesday night, every Tuesday at 7, soon to be 7.30. We're going to push it back a half an hour on Tuesdays. Is that okay? Let me know in the comments below if you think that's okay. Welcome in. This is Season 4, Episode 20. I can't believe we are here at Episode 20. We are we are in the 20s. Wow. Anyway, um, yeah, like us, subscribe at uh, youtube.com slash thedeependtv. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, please, especially if you are right now watching on Facebook or on Waters Church's YouTube. Can you head over again to what? This, youtube.com slash thedeependtv. And uh, that's where we want you to subscribe and hit all the um, little buttons there, like uh, the little like button, like this little like button right below me, and then the subscribe button right here. And Give the beard some love and then also hit that little notification bell so that you can get notified on your smartphone whenever we go live. And uh, as usual, we also encourage you to check us out on all of our social media accounts. Most of them are The Deep End TV. So at The Deep End TV, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and then Twitter, just Deep End TV. Uh, okay, so let's do something new. I'm going to start off on a positive note. Well, first a negative, then to a positive note. Okay, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of the entertainment industry giving us options that are totally depressing. Totally. <laughs> there are no good movies that end in redemption anymore. You know, redemption's a great theme. It resonates with the human heart. We all want redemption. We all want to have a second chance, right? Well, well, Hollywood has abandoned that message. And Bill Maher had a great uh, commentary on this in his uh, show last week. He talked about how the Oscars need to be renamed the Debbies because they are Debbie Downers now. And... <laughs> He says, in a rough year, Hollywood seems intent on making us all feel worse with the movies they offer as, quote unquote, award winning. And I'm sure you can agree. One such, one such example comes to mind in my life. I watched this with my wife the other day. This is called Minari. It is nominated for Best Picture. Uh, the LA Times says this is the movie we need right now, end quote. Uh, nothing against the actors, the director, uh, the storyline. It's just the ending. The ending. It's ridiculous. My wife and I have spent two nights watching a movie because we're old. And uh, so we paused it at like 40 minutes left. And then we got up and then we you know went to work. And then we were like, okay, let's finish the movie. It was, we were like the characters and everything was great. And it's got this funny little Christian character in it, which was really cool. But it's about a dirt poor Korean uh, family. Uh, they're immigrants, and they come to uh, the Bible Belt to build a farm. And they build the farm, and they spend all this time and all this money and all these resources harvesting the crops, getting them all packaged up into the barn, and then they get a contract to sell their crops. And then their marriage falls apart. Grandma has a stroke, and she burns the entire barn down with all their crops. The end. I kid you not. 
That was the end. The barn burns down and their marriage is falling apart. The end. And I'm just thinking, (laughs) movies have got to do better than this. Do not watch that movie. I just told you the whole thing. So you don't have to waste two hours like me and my wife did, hoping for a redemptive narrative. But there is none. There is none because Hollywood is out of its blinking mind. That's why. So I'm bringing back an old old, um, segment on the deep end. It's called Pastor Recommends. Yeah, I'm going to recommend a movie, okay? I'm going to recommend a movie that I want you to watch, and it's called this. It's called Small Group, the movie. Small Group, the movie. This is recommended by uh, Deep End producer here, uh, Michael, and it's a Christian Indian Indian, uh, independent movie, comedy, and it pokes fun of evangelical Christians and it has a great heart. And I got to tell you, it is great. It is fantastic. Uh, usually, Christian movies are filled with cringe-worthy acting. Hello? Cringe-worthy. Make you ashamed to be a Christian, honestly. Jesus never makes me ashamed, but Christian movies do. Anyway, cringe-worthy acting, such as the recent movie Roe v. Wade. I watched that movie, too. It was unbearable to get through it. I watched it only for the facts and I appreciate, you know, what they're trying to do and they're trying to, you know, speak into culture and all that kind of stuff. But Christian movies are usually filled with cringe worthy acting. Not so on small group the movie. A guy uh, is hired to um, spy on uh, the an evangelical megachurch and discover their hypocrisy. And along the way he realizes that he's the one that needs some help and might be uh, prejudiced. And anyway, it's a great movie. You should see it. And, and learn to laugh at yourself as an evangelical Christian. We just don't do this enough in our entertainment options. And I think it's a lost art in all entertainment options. Poke fun at yourself. Don't poke fun at other people. Poke fun of yourself. It's worth the two hours. I recommend it. Small group, the movie. Go check it out. It's $4.99, I think, for rental for 48 hours on Amazon Prime. Check it out. We'd love you to watch it. Anyway, let's head over to the news, huh? Deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. I would like to start with some good news here. I would like to start with some good news. Here's the good news on the deep end. Thank you for everyone who came out to the book signing at North Attleboro in Waters Church. I'm going to do this in Woonsocket, possibly Nord, and also in Tampa. I wrote the book, Move, and I was overwhelmed with the response and how many people of you appreciated it and wanted to chat about it. I never thought that I would be an author. These are some pictures here on the screen of me signing with a lot of people. Thank you so much for showing me the support that you showed me. Uh, it was great to get to know you deep enders, you deep enders, you guys who help make this what it is. You tune in every week and you chat down below. I love the chat, by the way. Let me know what's going on. Let me know where you're watching from. Uh, I read all the chats. And uh, thank you for telling me how much you appreciate the show. I do this every week and I don't. sometimes I don't think it's all that great. Sometimes I think, is anybody listening? But you guys told me that you were and you loved it. And thank you that you that you enjoy what we do here. Uh, uh, it's a labor of love. I do this because I, I just am passionate about talking about culture and talking about the Bible. And then I wrote the book Move because I was passionate about helping people move positively through life, following the principles that we see in the life of Caleb and Joshua. And so I thank you so much. And I want to say a special shout out to the family that let me know that they watched the deep end together from the hot tub on Tuesday nights. Um, Thank you for making me feel totally creeped out and just give me this image in my head of you guys watching me on the deep end here in your hot tub. Well, anyway, (laughs) that was really cool to meet you guys. I'm so glad to have you watching, tuning in. I hope the water is really warm. Uh, Now let's talk about something in the news that's not so great. 
such as asking God to help you hate a certain people. Yeah, this is not, this is not good. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing this, but somebody did. And her name is uh, Chaniqua Walker Barnes. She is a professor of practical theology at Mercer University, and she teaches, get this, pastoral care and counseling, spiritual formation and reconciliation studies at the Baptist College in Macon, Georgia. Yes, reconciliation studies. Okay, and she's writing this chapter in a book called A Rhythm of Prayer. She wrote a chapter called uh, Prayer of a Weary Black Woman. By the way, her bio says that she is pro-choice, feminist, pro-LGBTQ, you know, the typical uh, person out there on that side of the aisle. Anyway, she wrote the chapter, Prayer of a Weary Black Woman, and, and this is a devotional commentary, by the way. It's the number one selling devotional book on Amazon right now, A Rhythm of Prayer. And her chapter on prayer, Prayer of a Weary Black Woman, goes like this. Dear God, this is how she opens the chapter. Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least to want to hate them. At least to stop, uh, at least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls, to stop believing that they can be better, that they can stop being racist. <laughs> okay, this is a devotional um, that's helping us hate people of a certain color. No cancellations, by the way. This is not going to make it to the shelf of shame because nobody's going to get nobody's going to get up in arms about this. Uh, but she makes it clear, though, what white people she's talking about. She's not talking about the KKK. She's not talking about you know out out uh, outrageous racists. No, she makes it perfectly clear what white people in specific that she is talking about. I want to show you here on the screen. She says, uh, "My prayer is that you would help me to hate the other white people. You know, the nice ones." The Fox News-loving Trump-supporting voters who, quote, don't see color, end quote, but who make thinly-veiled racist comments about, quote, those people, end quote. The people who are happy to have me over for dinner, but alert the neighborhood watch anytime an unrecognized person of color passes their house. Okay, she knows this for a fact. She knows that that's what happens for a fact every time these people have her over for dinner. She, she goes on. The people who welcome black people in their churches and small groups, but brand them as heretics if we suggest that Christianity is concerned with the poor and oppressed. The people who politely tell us that we can leave when we call out the racial microaggressions we experience in their ministries. Aha. So that's who she hates. She hates the Trump voters, the Fox News watchers, the people who disagree with her and vote differently than her. So in reality, she is what Charles Barkley talked about last week. And we talked about last week with Charles Barkley when he said just, just being programmed to hate a certain people because the Democrats need to raise money for their political campaigns, just like the Republicans need to raise money for their political campaigns. And so let's raise money by getting everybody to hate each other. So she's basically one of them. And she's the professor at a, a college teaching about reconciliation. This, this is sad stuff. And she goes on in the next paragraph. She says, and this is kind of funny. She says, since I don't have many relationships with people like that. So you don't know these people, but you want God to give you hatred for them. Okay. And, and by the way, why do you want God to give you hatred for people you don't even know? You don't have a relationship with. What, what has spurred this other than what you've heard in the news about these people? That's what I'm saying. Can you understand? I don't have the relationships with these people. I don't know them. I've never talked to them, but I want to hate them. Why? Because television told me to. So she says, uh, I don't have good use uh, for hatred for them. Uh, maybe I shouldn't pray for that. And then she goes on. She says, Lord, grant me then the permission and desire to hate the white people who claim to be progressive 
but really are wolves in sheep's clothing. So who do you hate exactly? The progressive people are not the Fox News watchers and they're not the Trump voters. The progressive Christians are on the other side of the aisle, the Democratic voters who are pro-choice and pro-LGBT and pro-Earth you know, earth, uh, environmental issues and all that kind of stuff. So which ones do you want to hate? Do you want to hate the progressive Christians or the conservative Christians? Uh, you're confusing me. She goes on in the book. She said, Lord, if it be your will, harden my heart. Stop me from striving to see the best in people. Stop me from being hopeful that white people can and do better. Let me imagine them instead as a white hooded, as white hooded robes standing in front of burning crosses. Let me see them as hopelessly unrepentant, reprobate bigots who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and who need to be handed over to the evil one. Again, this is the number one selling, this is the number one selling devotional spiritual book on Amazon right now. <sighs> she goes on, let me be like Jonah, unwilling for my enemies to change. Let me be like Lot, unable to walk away from them and their sinfulness without trying to call, their, call them to repentance. Let me stop seeing them as members of the same body. Now, I don't share this for you to attack this woman or get on a rampage or get worked up about this. She has just revealed exactly the problem of our culture right now. We are being taught and pastored and shepherded by uh, television and news and the, po the political powers that be to hate each other. I mean, and then she revealed too that she was spurred on to write this because she had a white friend who casually dropped the n-word in her presence which i totally understand is a disgraceful word and i hate that word as much as anybody it is disgusting and she tried to kind of like um reinforce what she shares in this book when she was called out on it on social media so she took to twitter and wrote the following, quote, I took my rage to God in prayer. I owned it. I was truthful about to God about what I was struggling with. And I prayed for God to not let anger and hatred overwhelm me. Okay, that's not true. You didn't pray for God to not let anger and hatred overwhelm you. You prayed that it would overwhelm you. You need to be honest about this. Uh, she asked for more hatred. Oh, by the way, the devotional editors uh, came to her defense by referencing something called the imprecatory psalms. The imprecatory psalms, there's, there's like seven categories of psalms, one of which is imprecatory. And these are psalms of lament that call God, call on God for the destruction uh, and judgment of their enemies. Psalm 5, Psalm 10, Psalm 70, Psalm 83, Psalm 109, Psalm 137 are a few. And it's basically a cry of vengeance against those who are attacking God's people. But I, I want you to understand that in the imprecatory psalms, there's not a single instance in which the psalmist prays for hatred for anybody. The closest that you can get to it in the Precatory Psalms is Psalm 139, 21, where it says, uh, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not load those who rise up? In other words, I already hate you. I hate, I hate those who hate you. And he says, I load those who rise up against you. This is Psalm 139, verse 21. Then he says, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies, those who hate God. Not, not white people, not brown people, not Gentile, those who hate God. And then the very next verse in Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. So, God, I've got this hatred in my heart for the people who hate you. Now search me and see if there's any grievous way in me. So maybe I'm wrong here. That's not an imprecatory prayer of this woman. That's not what she's praying. She's praying for hatred. And that's where her defense breaks down. And she goes on and she tweets, I prayed to be true to the biblical mandate for peace, justice, and reconciliation, even though I don't think it's possible. So you're praying for something that you're actually praying against by asking for more hatred and that you don't believe is possible. And then she finally quotes, she finally tweets out uh, the last thing here. She says, in all truth, my family and my personal experiences have given me millions of reasons to hate people, hate, hate white people. The hatred would be justified. I could even find biblical precedent for it. Oh my gosh. No, you can't. I'm sorry. You cannot find biblical precedent for hating any colored person, whatever their color is, white, black, brown, orange, yellow. Remember when we used to sing in 
Sunday school. Jesus loves the little children, red, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. I mean, what? <laughs> we have come a long way from that, have we not? She writes uh, in another post, and this kind of going to give you a little bit of a background for her. And I only share this to give you some context for what she uh, stands for. Um, she wrote a, a post in 2017 called Why I Gave Up Church. And basically making the argument that she gave up church for Lent and uh, never went back. And this is four years ago now. So it's the typical stuff that people write uh, on the progressive side of Christianity for why they don't go to church. The typical justification, you know, at least on the, on the, did I say right? I meant on the left. On the right-hand side, people don't go to church because they get busy. They get tied up in work. They're kids. They make idols out of good things. They make things that are normal, their ultimate things. So their golf game, they're, they're, you know, or they get lazy or they get, you know, just tied up in all kinds of other nonsense and then, or they don't like the church anymore. Uh, so they don't go to church. But on the left, it's always the church doesn't fit my theology. It's always the church doesn't do what I want it to do. And so in her article, she writes, I can't find a church that I agree with. Um, the typical, you know, the typical excuses, Donald Trump, uh, evangelicalism is built on white supremacy. Mainline churches only, uh, uh, say they care about LGBTQ, but they really don't. There's not enough environmental concern, not enough women empowerment. I mean, on and on and on it goes in this article. And then she gets into the usual crap about God is in everything, soft pantheism, quote, uh, a direct quote from the article, I find Jesus in the laughter of children, the love of our families, and the beauty of nature. Oh my gosh, this is getting old, man. Is, is anybody getting sick of this stuff? Blah, 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 blah. <sighs> stuff that the woke scolds say to justify their belligerence and refusal to consider that they might actually be wrong and the scriptures might actually be the whole counsel of God. It's the same stuff, different person. So she gave up on church and she prayed for the hatred of those who go to churches that she disagrees with and she's getting paid for it. She's getting paid well. Why? Hatred sells. Hatred Sells. It's the number one book on Amazon right now for devotional reading. A Rhythm of Prayer. I can't recommend not reading it enough. <laughs> and I was just thinking, I wish that there was just better reading material out there. I just wish that there was better options <laughs> out there for your reading enjoyment. And oh, have you heard that I wrote a book? It's called Move and it is available right now on amazon.com and also available at timhatchlive.com slash books. Man, is that not the best segue we have ever had here on the deep end. Check out the book. Leave a five-star review. Even if you don't like it, lie and leave a five-star review. And now let's get into This Week in Cancel Culture. Yep. So there's the shelf of shame. Okay. The shelf of shame again is getting packed, is getting packed. You can see that we have Barack Obama is on the shelf of shame. If you weren't here last week, that's, that was talked about. Uh, there's Cara Dune right next to her. And then uh, The Adventures of Kook and Gluck. These, uh, this is a, uh, a weird book, Captain Underpants series book anyway, uh, that has been canceled as well because of racial overtones. Uh, it never ends. It never ends. Who knows who's next? And that's why we here on The Deep End are going to continue to celebrate those who get canceled by putting them up in the place of honor on the shelf of shame. And the question that we ask every single week is who gets canceled next? Who gets canceled next? And this week, it's a church. A church in Edmonton, Canada. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Now, for all my life, I've heard of the underground church in China. 
And I've kind of envied the fact that there is an underground church in China where there is serious governmental pressure to not go to church. And so they have to hide to uh, avoid government oppression. And then the reason why there's an underground church is because there's the state-sponsored church, which asks the priest to promote, you know, the state-run ideas and media. Uh, and anyway, there's this underground church that says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to preach Christ. Well, guess what? The underground church has come to the cultural West. And China just keeps pouring us, pouring out its idea, ideas and ideologies into the cultural West. They sure, they sure are winning, aren't they? China gave us COVID-19. It's a fact. It came from China. I don't know if it was in a lab or if it was from monkeys. I don't know. God knows, but it came from China. And now we get more China with it. We get the virus and now we get the attitude. And I'm going to talk about that more when we get to the life of David. You're not going to want to miss that. Please stay for that talk. But now we get the underground church in China. And this happened. Grace Life Church. By the way, we talked about the pastor a couple weeks ago, James Coates. He was in prison. He was in prison for 35 days in solitary confinement for refusing to follow the mask and uh, social distance mandates in his church. So they gathered regularly and then they released him because of public outcry. And now the government has closed the church with not one, not two, but three fences surrounding the property. And they closed the road leading to the church. And they sent 200 cops to the church in full riot gear to stop those riotous Christians from singing to Jesus. Can we uh, first off talk about COVID facts in Alberta, Canada? 2,000 people in Alberta, Canada have died from COVID. 2,000. Uh, there's a fraction of the population, not even 1%, okay? Not even like a tenth of 1%. 80% of those 2,000 deaths happened in senior homes or nursing care facilities. And the rest, the 20% outside of senior care facilities had comorbidity. They had co so So for 2,000 people, 80% of which were in nursing homes, and we all know about the fiasco of the nursing homes in this country, never mind in other countries where people with comorbidity uh, issues were put into these places where COVID was spread rapidly and most of the deaths originated from there. Now Canada says to the church, nope, you're not going to meet anymore. You're not going to meet. Can you believe this? So they had to move their location. They had to move to an undisclosed location. They've gone underground. They've gone underground. A church in Canada has gone underground. Good news about this, by the way. There is an outcry growing. People are flooding to the area. They're singing songs in worship. I saw, you can see this on YouTube all over the place, worshiping God, celebrating him. And there should be an outcry. There should be an outcry because there's a double standard. And I want to reveal to you here on the deep end about the double standard. The double standard is this, that as this church, Grace Life Church is closed in Canada, guess what? The downtown mosques in Edmonton are wide open and flooded with worshipers. This is from protestia.com. While Grace Life Church is shut down, Islamic mosques are left alone. And I thought, I heard about this. I thought, okay, surely then it's because the mosques are following social distancing procedures and they're listening to the government. Wrong. Wrong. On Good Friday last week, I know it's not Good Friday for the Muslims, it's Good Friday for Christians, but last Friday, April 2nd, a guy shot a video, a guy shot a video on YouTube of the Friday night worship outside of this mosque or in this mosque by showing the parking lot. The parking lot was packed, packed to the brim at the at a mosque in downtown Edmonton while Grace Life Church is being pressured by the government to shut down and throwing their their pastors in prison. I want you to see this. This is unbelievable. Watch. So churches are getting shut down for religious gatherings. Churches are being fined. Pastors are being thrown in prison. But this is okay. 
This is okay, right? This is okay. This is okay. Back. This is all right. But the Christians are getting screwed, right? One law for everyone. For everyone. It's disgusting. I agree. It's disgusting. I mean, it's unbelievable what's going on in the cultural West. It's lost. The cultural West has lost the cultural standards that made it the cultural West, and now it's losing its mind. And it is kowtowed to the progressive propaganda, which somehow combines, and this is something that you got to listen to, okay? Progressive propaganda in this country combines the fruits of the sexual revolution in the 1960s with the pluralism of mainline Christianity in the 1970s. These two forces have united pluralism, all roads lead to heaven, sexual liberation, sexual revolution, they've been married. And it has produced an unlikely allegiance between Islam and sexual deviancy with governmental power. And I want to put this on the screen so that you get the picture of it. We have Islam and the LGBTQ, the sexual revelation mo revolution movement, uh, with government-sanctioned uh, support, by the way. They've got the power. They have got the power. Let's just be honest, okay? Uh, this country wants... Uh, to promote Islam and, uh, you know, they don't come out and say that verbally, but it is absolutely protected and celebrated. And when Muslims get uh, elected to public office, there's a celebration for it as if this is advancement and progress and then LGBTQ. And there's this marriage and the target are Christians. The target are Christians. It's a strange alliance because Islam does not agree with sexual morality except for monogamy. That's the only that's the only sexual deviancy that the Islams agree with. And this is where we are, though. Christian pastors getting jailed, Christian churches getting shut down, mosques, Islam, and sexual immorality getting celebrated and foisted upon the culture in incredible, <clears throat> in incredible ways. Back to the good news, though, about Grace Life Church. The outcry is growing. People are starting to complain. And even on YouTube, you can go to the comments to watch the reactions of people about this uh, this this uh, event, even atheists are like, this needs to stop. I don't go to church and I don't believe in Jesus, but this is disgusting. This is totalitarianism. Uh, and then you need to know that protesters actually broke down a portion of the fence. They did. They broke down a portion of the fence. So what did the church do? Guess what they did? They put it back peacefully and respect. They put back the church, the, the, the fence that was put around their church peacefully and respectfully. Grace Life Church, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. By the way, on Sunday, they met together. They met together in an undisclosed location. And here's the facts. They had to walk a mile because there was no road access to where they met. They had to walk a mile. And when they got there, the toilets did not work. There was no running water. And they were packed. They were packed on Sunday to celebrate Jesus. And they remind us of this very important fact, ladies and gentlemen. They remind us the church is not a building. The church is not a building. Say it with me, right? This is wonderful for the church. This is one. You think I'm? You think I'm talking about this because I'm mad? I'm talking about this because this is fantastic for the church. There's going to be some great things that happen to the church because of government resistance, and we don't need to be. We don't need to be mad about it. We can get. We can be angry. We can voice our displeasure with it, but we don't need to be. We don't need to be mad about it because guess what? God is on the throne. God is in control, and so yes, it's disgusting. But God is on the throne, and you've got to know this for a fact. Here's what happens when the church gets governmental pressure. Number one, it purifies the church from pretenders and takers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you want to follow Christ? Get ready to suffer. 
get ready to have to walk a mile and go to a church building where there's no toilet access because they have to meet in underground locations. Are you ready to worship Jesus now? Are you ready to worship Jesus when you don't have the comforts of a pew and a padded seat and, you know, the the cool lights and the cool electric guitars and all the stuff and all that? I mean, I have a church like that, but what if that's all taken away tomorrow? Are we still going to gather and worship Jesus or are we coming for what we can get out of church? Huh? Which one's it going to be? Number two, it's going to proclaim the true nature of Christianity. The true nature of Christianity in this country, and I'm talking about cultural evangelicalism in America, which has saddled to political power. It's got baggage with sexual uh, uh, crises and um, uh, financial mismanagement and all kinds of scandals are tied to it. And then on top of it, it's weird evangelicalism in America. It's just weird. We tend to be a weird species with a lot of Pharisaism in our midst. And the governmental pressure is going to bring us back to the true nature of Christianity, which is we're gathered to worship Jesus. And I think the last thing that's going to happen is we're here, we're going to see many skeptics one to faith. Skeptics like the Apostle Paul, who wanted to kill Christianity and saw how they stood. Well, not he didn't see how they stood for Christ. He he was overwhelmed with Christ's presence. Uh, I also think of the the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross when Jesus breathes his last and gives his spirit to God and the mountains shake and the darkness descends and and then the Roman centurion is watching this happen. The Roman centurion in Mark 15 and he says, surely this man was the son of God. I mean, he had just nailed Jesus to the cross and then he's suddenly saying, this is the son of God. I mean, I, I the church, yeah, the church is going to go through some some pressure here as these cultural forces unite to target the church. And guess what's going to happen? People are going to get saved. Jesus reigns. Jesus uses the trials and the temptations of the church to cleanse it, to purify it, and to sharpen it so that the word becomes most important. Jesus gets proclaimed and people get saved. Woo! That's the deep end news. I am, I'm amped up about this because, you know, I've seen this coming for many years in the cultural West. It's here and it's probably not a bad thing. I think we need it. We need to be the pure church that Jesus called us to be and watch God use all that the devil intends for evil for our good. Amen. That's the news. Let's get into the life of David. All right, the life of David. By the way, you can pick up Deep End swag on deepend.tv. The Deep End. The Deep End.tv. Uh, I always forget to talk about this and make sure that you uh, follow me on Twitter at Tim Hatch Live and then also support the Deep End if you would please. The Deep End.tv slash give or the cash tag. You can take out your phone and cash tag us right now at uh, The Deep End TV. Make sure you support us. Help out The Deep End. Getting this content to you is a pleasure. I do it for free but you help pay the bills for all the things that make this possible, including streaming it to you right now. So support us. It'd be very benefit. It'd be very, uh, very good for us and very uh, appreciated. Okay. Let's get into again, the life of David. And we're going to this topic in second Samuel chapter seven. The title today is we don't build God. We don't build God's house. We don't build God's house. And the subtitle would be, he builds his house through us. We don't build God's house. He builds his house 
through us. Now, if you're watching this uh, message in the future, I wanna let you know when we are, when we are. Right now, it is April of 2021. And a recent Gallup reported, a recent Gallup survey reported that less than half of America attends church. Less than half of America. We talked about this, I think, two weeks ago on the deep end. So fewer and fewer people are going to church. This is uh, the lowest number since Gallup started taking these polls and finding out about this uh, statistic and reporting it. Um, it is the lowest ever in 80 years. And the first thing that happens when we hear things like this is people come for the church. They do. They attack the church. They say, oh, the church, well, it's got problems. That's why it needs to get with the times, it needs to change its message, it needs to start, you know, getting with it and understanding that there are certain standards that the culture accepts now. So the church has to start accepting it if it wants to win, especially the precious young people with the precious young dollars. I mean, it's like we're in advertising and we're trying to sell Coca-Cola. We're not trying to sell Coca-Cola. We're trying to talk about Jesus Christ. So we attack the church and we say the church is uh, bad. The church is not right. The church needs to change. And that's what happens when we hear things like fewer than half of the U.S. population goes to church. Let me, let me posit a different theory. Maybe it's not the church is bad. Maybe it's people are sinners. People are selfish. And people, according to the Bible itself, tend to run from God on a regular basis. How about that? How about instead of jumping on the church and demonizing it and expecting it to change and get with the times, we just say human beings are evil and hate God, like Psalm 52 and Psalm 14 say. Okay, these are scriptural references I'm giving you, not cultural ideas. One of the fruits of sin is that we are at enmity with God, Romans 5 says. We hate him in our natural selves. We don't want him to be part of our lives. And so one of the fruits of that is I can't find a church that I 100% agree with. Therefore, I'm not going. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome to humanity because that's what humans do. Humans hold God to an impossible standard because they want him to be like them. And they want him to be what they want him to be. And when they are confronted with the truth, they say, see ya, I'm out of here. <laughs> got it? So I think we got to stop laying the blame at the church and saying the church needs to change and understand that the church holds to the truth and people hate the truth. You see, because there's some hard truths that you got to understand about American life right now. There's some hard truths that you got to understand about American life that cater to the reality that people don't go to church. Number one, Americans are pampered by their news. They are pampered by their news. They are given their choice to hear only what they agree with, whether it's Fox News or CNN. I'll pick the one that I agree with, whether it's the New York Times or Breitbart.com. They pick the news that they agree with. So we have been enculturated into this. I only listen to things that I agree with. So when the church says something I don't agree with, see ya. Number two, Americans are saturated by their endless choices of entertainment and video streaming. They can watch anything from anywhere on their time as they like. There are countless options for you to decide what entertains you. I remember when there were three channels on the television, three. 
We didn't have options. We watched what was available to us. We bring that into our Christianity. I only want to have a church that entertains me and says what I want it to say and doesn't offend me and makes me laugh and feel good and all that stuff instead of challenging me with the truth of God's word. Number three, Americans are coddled by their government. Coddled by their government. They are. Constantly hearing the promises from politicians who will give us more money, stimulus checks, promise us more safety, shutdowns and vaccines, and basically take care of us from cradle to the grave. Things that we used to trust God for, we're now being enculturated to trust government for. So why would I go to church when the government's giving me or promising to give me everything that God said he'd give me? You understand why churches are not populated? It's very simple. It's not the church's fault. It's people. America, <laughs> there's some hard truths you got to come to grips with. Americans are fat, lazy, entitled, spoiled brats who demand the world revolve around them. That's the fact. And you say, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty intense, Tim. Yeah, it is. And it's true. We need to realize that we're not the center of the universe. There is a God who judges the living and the dead. And one day we all will be held account to his word to his authority, every single one of us, myself included. And if you're not standing on Christ, you are standing on your own righteousness and your righteousness, Isaiah says, is like filthy rags before God. It's not good enough. You understand that the problem might not be the church. The problem actually might be people. And judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. I want to give you some more news, actually. Again, April 2021, China is coming for America. This from the Wall Street Journal last night, China's message to America, we're an equal now. We're an equal now. <laughs> this is China saying, yeah, you don't, you're not telling us what to do. We're telling you what to do because we're now equals. And President Xi has basically said out loud, thank you, America, for your racial conflict and for electing President Biden. You've paid the way for our future dominance. He's basically saying the quiet part out loud now. By the way, China in 2019, I want you to just, I want to take a tour on the past in regards to how China has manipulated us in ways we're not even aware of, America. I want you to check this out. This is from December of 2019. December 2019 from the Daily Wire. Communist China, private ownership of guns in the U.S. is a serious problem, must change. So state-run media from China said that the Second Amendment is a serious problem. It needs to change. So our government, just last week, our president just said that no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. Quote, end quote. No amendment to the Constitution is absolute. And he's talking about the Second Amendment. So our government has now taken the position that China held in 2019 about the right to bear arms in this country. You say, is this a Christian principle, right to bear arms? It is a Christian principle to defend your family, absolutely. But the bigger point is that we are being molded into China's image. And you need to see it. I want to give you more proof of what I'm talking about. This is from June of 2019. President Xi called in America a racist country from CNBC. The title of the article says, oh, sorry, November 2019, quote, China's latest tactic, call America racist. So guess what's being <laughs> foisted upon America right now? We're racist. We're being told we're racist all the time. Isn't it amazing the very messages that China was espousing in 2019 are now the messages of 2021 in America? And all it took was a global pandemic from China? and lockdowns and fear of death, we're, 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 we're clay in their hands. Do you not see what I'm seeing? 
We have adopted the very messages about our country that China propagated in 2019. Friends, America is literally bowing to China in thought. And one day soon, it will be, it will be bowing to China indeed if we do not repent and seek God and seek Jesus. Every, every great world power has been conquered, by the way and dominated by another up-and-coming world power. Do you think America is going to be any different? The Roman Empire was, was, was overrun. The British Empire was overrun. You've got to do your research and realize that America, its time is short, and it's gotten so arrogant and so self-centered. It's sleeping through it, just like Rome, which deteriorated from within. America may have seen its last great days. I hope and I pray that I'm wrong. But Hollywood has been shipping their jobs to China. They're partnering with Chinese firms to create entertainment. The NBA is on China's side. The Major League Baseball is on China's side. So all the power and our government. So all the power players are kowtowing to China. And guess who's getting left behind? You. You. Your government is leading you astray. Do not be, de do not be deceived, friends. At this point, China is Babylon to America's Israel, and the time is short. And I don't say this because I want you to vote a certain way. I say this because I want you to pray a certain way. I want you to pray, God, revive us. God, send the Spirit back into us. We need Jesus again in this country. We need to be the church. And we need to stop seeing the church as some sort of consumeristic enterprise where you get your needs met. And see the church for what it is, the mission of Jesus to send the message to the world that God came down and lived among us. All that leads me back <laughs> to the important point of this message in the life of David, of what it means to be the church. I bring you back to the thought, we don't build God's house. He builds his house through us. We don't build God's house. He builds his house through us. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You could call 2 Samuel chapter 7 the theological center of 1 Samuel. 1 and 2 Samuel is the theological center of these two books. And David is now king in Judah and all Israel. And he has um, acquired peace for the nation. And there are no more wars. And he gets an idea to build a temple for God. It's a very, it's a very noble desire to build a temple for God. And that's where we pick up the text. And I want you to go there with me. Here we are in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, reading together. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Okay, let's talk about this. David says, I got this beautiful palace, and I'm thinking about building a temp temple for God. And Nathan's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And I want to give you some con context, ancient world context about this. Um, David, it seems like a noble plan to build the temple, but really, you need to know the ancient world context. Uh, ancient superpowers were measured by two things, the size of their king's palace and the size of their god's temple. The size of their king's palace, the size of their god's temple. So David is not n totally noble here. He's saying, I need to build the temple bigger because the other nations need to see that our God's bigger than them. So the bigger the temple, the bigger the God. And so David is saying, I need to make sure, put all these other nations on notice that we are a superpower. That's really, that's really what's happening here. And so Nathan says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And watch out for that when everybody yeses you to death. Sometimes they don't hear from God, but thankfully Nathan does hear from God in verse four. It says that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Verse five, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? 
I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel out of Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, this is important. This is important because God's saying, I don't need you to build me a house. I don't need you to build me. And by the way, church, the Lord does not build, need us to build a building. We are the church. And this principle that the people are the church uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ is spelled out right here for the first time in the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Okay, there's a reason spelled out here. Did you see it on the screen, Sarah? It says, uh, I've been dwelling in a tent. I, my, my dwelling is a tent. Do you see that? My dwelling is a tent. And I've been wandering around with you in the tent, following you, being with you, you know, just hanging out. God with us. Uh, what we see here is actually the gospel in 2 Samuel chapter 7. What is a tent? And the Bible was going to refer to our human body is a tent. Now think about a tent. What is a tent? A tent is fabric and poles that hold up the fabric. Think about your body. Fabric, poles, all throughout that hold it up is a tent. God is saying here, I've been dwelling in a tent with you because I am with you. It's not about the size of the temple. It's about the fact that I am here with you. And the tent is a picture of Jesus Christ who will come in a human body. This is so cool to me. I love this. So Jesus is going to come in a human body and he's going to dwell and walk among his people. And then number two, the church becomes the spiritual house that Jesus builds to be a temple for the Holy Spirit. This is the coolest thing ever. All the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, these two truths come out. Number one, Jesus comes in a human tent. Number two, the church will be his house. Jesus says in John 1, well, not, not Jesus, but John says in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory is the one only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and another translation says tabernacled among us. Tabernacle is another term for the Old Testament tent. And we are his house. I think of 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And God will make clear in this passage that it will be through David's line, through David's line, that all of this will happen. This is so powerful. I, this is why this, this chapter is the theological pinnacle of First and Second. Uh, Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, let's continue. Verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. So David basically sends a message here to not David. God sends a message to David here saying, I made you, you did not make me. All the other nations made their gods. The Philistines made their god Dagon, right? The Egyptians made their god uh, the Nile, the dust, the cows, the frogs, okay? Uh, the, the, the sun was made god by the Egyptians. God says to David, I wasn't made by you. I made you. Theologians call this a Copernican revolution. And you need to have a Copernican revolution at some time in your life. This is where we realize that we are not the center of the universe. God is. You know, the Copernican revolution in science is that he discovered the heliocentric nature of the solar system, not Earth-centric. So, so the Earth revolves around the sun, rotates and revolves around the sun, not the sun around the Earth. Well, we need a, the we, we need a spiritual Copernican revolution where we realize that we revolve around God. He doesn't revolve around us. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'll say amen, just in case you didn't say it. But anyway, 
Verse 10, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now God makes some promises to David, doesn't he? He makes some promises, promises of peace, promises of rest, promises where the enemies will no longer, what? They will no longer afflict Israel. These are our promises, by the way. Let me put it back up on the screen because it's important. Uh, We're going to get rest in Christ, okay? We're going to get um, deliverance from our enemies. No more afflictions uh, in Christ. We're not going to be disturbed. Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace that the world cannot take away uh, uh, in the Gospels. And so what these statements are, these are promises that are fulfilled for us, the church, through Jesus Christ, the true son of David, the true king who builds God's house. It's so cool. Oh, I love the Old Testament. Anybody tells me that the Bible is irrelevant in the Old Testament to Christians has not read the Old Testament rightly. It's where we learn a lot and maybe most of what we know of Christ. Anyway, continuing on, verse 12, God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build the house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. So God says some more things here. Basically, he says, David, you're going to die. You're coming to an end and the true king will come from your flesh. You will give, you will have a son and he will be my son. And I will be his father, okay? You have to read the Bible rightly. By the way, let me go back to the scripture because it says this, uh, when he commits iniquity, because this is the only passage of this that does not actually refer to Christ because Christ does not commit iniquity. He actually becomes sin for us, but he does not commit iniquity. And you need to read the prophecies of the Bible rightly. And I said this in the Revelation season, and I say it again here. Uh, Every prophecy in the Bible has an immediate fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment. An immediate fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment. And in the Bible, whenever it's in the Old Testament talking about Jesus, there's an immediate fulfillment. So there's a king that's going to come, like in this case, Solomon, who will come directly from David's uh, line right after David. But then the ultimate fulfillment is Christ, the son of David. So there's two fulfillments, immediate, ultimate. You need to understand that to understand prophecy. But there's an important point in the scripture where God says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will be to him a father and he shall be, I, this is going to be my son. And you need to understand that when Jesus shows up, he talks to God as father and talks about God as father all the time. He's the first one to do it. John 5, 18, they want to kill him for it. John 5, 18, it says, uh, this is why the Jews were seeking to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, so God, God, the, 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 the reality here is that this is pointing to Jesus who will be the builder of the house. And uh, by the way, one more point from the passage in verse 14, my steadfast love will never depart from him. And that means that if you're in Christ, that applies to you as well. God's love will never depart from you. That is why in Romans 8, 38, Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or demons, um, present things, Future things, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, the son of David, our Lord. Got it? This is so cool. I just love the Old Testament. We got to go on so I can finish this talk. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. Okay, this is the messianic hope 
of King David's line. And to this day, Orthodox Jews believe the true son of David will come and save them from the powers that be and take back the Temple Mount and establish true and orderly worship again and establish them with peace and justice. But we believe, of course, as Christians, that this son of David already showed up 2,021 years ago, and he established a spiritual house, not a physical temple, a spiritual house that we call the church. And this brings me back to the news. This is why we do not search for a church that agrees with us. We are the church, and we are called to agree with him. Amen, right? This is what shapes, the word shapes the church. I've been telling my church also, get yourself a nice big study Bible. I got a big study Bible here on the deep end, and I want you to get one too. Mark it up and underline it and all that kind of stuff. But this is the point of 2 Samuel chapter 7. God is going to build a house, and we are the house. And these people that run around and say, I don't like that church, and I don't want that church, and I want a church that agrees with me, and I want a church that does all this, I want a church that entertains me and makes me feel comfortable and does uh, social justice and environmental justice and or, or preaches more about this or preaches more about that. I mean, stop. You are the church if you're in Christ. You are the church. And if you're not in agreement with the church 100%, well, that's because it's filled with people. But number one, it's not about agreeing with people. It's about agreeing with God's word. Anyway, verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind. In other words, people need to learn from this, what I just taught you about it. O Lord God, he says, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. David rejoices. He's humbled. He knows that this, that, that he knows this is more than about him. This is for generations to come after him. Powerful stuff going on. Second Samuel 7, 21. Because of your promise and according to your heart, you have brought all this greatness. You brought all this greatness to make your servant know it. Verse 22, therefore you are great, O Lord. You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God wanted to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And he just goes on and he worships God and spirit here and in truth. And he just talks about the promises, the heart of God, the greatness of God on the earth. He's just worshiping. He's worshiping. And then it goes on in verse 24. And you establish for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, and now, O Lord, uh, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. Okay, what is that talking about? What's that talking about? It's talking about this. It's talking about the fact that, that God is going to never, ever stop building his house. And they are not... Israel for their sake, they are Israel for God's sake. And you are not the church for the church's sake. You are the church for God's sake. The last passage, nope, last three verses, let's go to them. Uh, verse 27, for you, O Lord, the God of hosts, uh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant saying, I'll build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Courage. David's got courage now. And now, O Lord, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. You have emboldened me. The, the, the hope of the house gives David courage to pray to God directly. What does scripture say? We have courage 
to enter into the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus that is shed for us that brought us into his presence. First John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We know that we have whatever we ask because we know that we, uh, because we know that he hears the requests we have asked of him. First John 5, 14 and 15. Prayer comes with, uh, courage comes for prayer when we realize what Jesus has done to build the house. Isn't this incredible? And then lastly and finally, verse 29, now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, for you, O Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Powerful. The blessing is upon God's house. The blessing is upon God's house. And it's not a house that exists for them. It is a house that exists for God, for his glory. Now, I say all that to say this. Let's get some points down because i got to talk about the points of all of this. All right, I say them for last. The church is God's house, number one. It is a house that he is building. You are not building the church. You are the church and he is building you. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can be sure that whether or not the government closes our doors, shuts us down, blocks our roads, takes away our rights, Jesus is still gonna build the church and he's never going to stop. Ephesians 2.19 says that you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundations of the the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being self, being himself the cornerstone. Like any house, there's a foundation. And the house's foundation here in this case is the apostles and the prophets. If you go to a church and they don't open the scriptures and they don't read these scriptures, run, run like hell to the nearest church that does because it's not about what we think. It's about what God thinks. Number two, the church as a house is this. It's a house for his glory. So again, Copernican revolution, God exists. Uh, we don't exist. Uh, sorry. God does not exist for us. We exist for God. And so whatever happens to us is for his glory. Philippians 1.12, when Paul talks about what has happened to me, the imprisonments, this is really for the advancement of the gospel. I'm, I'm glad that I'm in prison because now the gospel is getting out. And, and, and we rejoice with Calvary, uh, with um, uh, Grace Life in Calgary, because uh, in Edmonton, Grace Life in Edmonton, Cal Canada, because what has happened has started to spur something on in the Canadian people about the glory of Jesus that we, we're going to worship anyway. And then number three, it's a house in which we serve. David refers to himself as, the, first David is referred to as the Lord's servant, and then he keeps calling himself the Lord's servant. And it's important because not since Moses has anyone been called the Lord's servant. It's an important designation. And it's the heart of God's house that we come to serve, not to be served, just like Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. First Peter 4.10, if anyone has a gift, let him use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. This is why church shopping is such a toxic concept to the Bible. I get that you want to find a church that teaches the Bible and, and worships Jesus, and you need to shop for that. But once you've found it, stay. Sometimes we turn into consumers because the church is no longer meeting my needs, but you need to be the church and you need to start meeting someone else's need. Death to consumer Christianity, please, on aisle one. Number four, it's a house in which we worship and pray. And David worshiped and prayed God, to God in this passage, right? He talks about, I've got courage now to pray to you. I, I found courage to pray because you have made me who I am, not because I've made you who I am, who I want you to be. I'm reading this fantastic book by Jim Cimbala, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in uh, Brooklyn, New York, called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I read it years ago, rereading it again. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. He talks about how the church was born in a prayer meeting, not in preaching. The church was born in a prayer meeting, not in preaching. And then he says this quote. He says, have you ever noticed that the church that Jesus launched 
okay, started while they were praying, not preaching. And then he says, what does it say about our churches that our God birthed the church in prayer, but today prayer meetings are almost extinct? He's right. We've got to be a church that prays. Jesus said, my house would be a cause of, of prayer. So we pray to God because we know his power is available to us in number five. And finally, it's a house of blessing forever. The church is a blessing to you. If you stay with it, if you stick with it, if you go to it, if you, if you submit to the authority of the word of God, the authority of the elders and leaders in your local church, you will be blessed. Ephesians 1.3 says, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He's talking to a church when he says that. You are blessed as the church. You are blessed as the house of God, not just in your individual Christianity. And what is blessing? A blessing is an impartation of strength and power. And that's what you get when you come to the church. So the question that I have at this point is, do you come to the house for his glory and his purposes or for your own? And what we're going to see here, and I'm going to do something real quick. I hope you don't mind this. I, I know you won't. But anyway, we're going to leapfrog 2 Samuel 8. And the reason why is because it's a lot of war. It's a lot of battles. What David just, who he defeats. He defeats the Philistines in verse 1. He defeats the Moabites in verse 2. He defeats um, uh, Hadadizar. He defeats... The, the Syrians. He basically establishes this incredible military reign uh, over all the nations that threatened Israel at this point, and he's established, he's well established as king and the most powerful king in the region. Uh, so that's basically, you can read it for yourself, Second Samuel chapter uh, 8, uh, 1 to 14. I only want to put up here on the screen verse 15. It says, so David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Elihud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Sariah was secretary, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. Okay, so the point that I'm trying to make here, and that the scripture is making, is that justice and equity happened for Israel and the world when David is established as king over God's house. And, and what that does, it points to the church. It points to the church. When we realize that the house is not about us and God does not revolve around us and the church is not what we want it to be, we are the church and we are what he wants us to be, that's when equity and justice become a reality for the world around us. And you have to understand that. So this is the closing truth. When we stop making the church about what we want and what we think we need, God raises up the church in the power he's provided to bring him glory and joy to the earth. That's the point. That's why we don't shop for the church that meets our needs, the church that fits our style, the church that says what we want it to say. No, no, no. We need to be rooted and grounded in a church that is founded and and dedicated to God's truth for every generation. With Jesus as the head, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and revolving around his purposes. God, it is so important. And I hope, I hope we can move past. A culture of me-ism, a culture of church for me-ism, and a culture of church for he, church for him, right? That's the episode. Uh, that's the talk. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of The Deep End. Make sure to visit thedeepend.tv. Why? 
Why do I go to the deepend.tv? Because I can get some merch like this tumbler with the beard logo that has scientifically proven to improve the flavor of whatever beverage you put in this tumbler. <laughs> Check out the deepend.tv for that. Uh, follow us on our social media accounts. Again, the swag is there. That's the end of the episode. I'm so glad that you were here. We will see you next week on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. The Deep End is brought to you by listeners and viewers just like you. Consider giving today. Hey, if you don't have a home church, come and check us out at one of our campuses. Visit waterschurch.org and you can find a time and location that fits your schedule. Tune in next week for The Deep End with Tim Hatch.